Welcome into the world with G right here on ESPN 105.1, the Sony ESPN Chattanooga.com, and the TuneIn app. You can have anywhere in the airwaves with you with me, and I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to a fresh new edition of The Word with G right here on Chattanooga Sports Leader ESPN 105.1 The Zone. Greg Larnard here, you there. Happy to have you along this midday sports talk radio journey, June 15th, 2021. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. It is, if you thought yesterday was nice, today is absolutely gorgeous around Chattanooga. Not a cloud in the sky. It's a little warm out, and it's going to get up probably high of around 90 today as I do my best weatherman impression. But there was a little breeze. I got outside this morning, a little breeze. It, was, it wasn't it was too, too hot. Like yesterday was kind of humid, a little muggy. But today, just sunshine, beautiful, little breeze. It, it felt nice outside. And... Yes, we're back in the studio today. No Wells. I got no guests for the entire two hours, so it's just you and I. We're going to have some good conversations over the next couple hours. I'll be with you until 2, as we always are, here on The Word with G. If you'd like to get our local content, head on over to ESPNChattanooga.com. Find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Just search ESPN Chattanooga, and you'll be able to find us. You can find me over on Twitter at G underscore ESPN 105.1. Again, at G underscore ESPN 105.1. If you want to jump in at any point throughout the show, questions, comments, concerns, anything with what we're talking about, hit me up on Twitter at G underscore ESPN 105.1. You can also shoot me an email if you'd like. That's easier. Greg L at BrewerMediaGroup.com. And hit me up on the phone lines. That's the best way to get in touch with me and jump right on into the show. 423-648-1051. Again, 423-648-1051. Nice and easy. 1051, like ESPN 1051, which will only be for a little while longer. But it is what it is, and it do what it do. I'm happy to be with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. All right, let's get into it. Today, we are going to be getting into a little bit of basketball. The Atlanta Hawks had themselves an opportunity to even out the series in the Eastern Conference semifinals last night, and they did just that. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't something that was like a walk in the park in the ATL, and they were able to easily tie this series up. No, it it, it took a valiant effort and really an entire team effort for the Atlanta Hawks to go out there and win this game. All five starters and double figures. About time they took Solomon Hill out of the starting lineup. They still have no DeAndre Hunter. He is not even on the roster list anymore about his knee and, and, and out. He's just off the roster completely. So inserting Kevin Herter into the starting lineup, this is something that Sam Dusenberry and I talked about last Wednesday. He thought, you know, it might take a little, little bit away from the bench, but I thought when, when you have a guy 
like a Lou Williams, who is basically quick cook grits or minute rice. He's just insta-offense. And a guy like Danilo Gallinari, who you know is going to play some minutes, who can fill it up in the score sheet as well. And, and he's actually, which I've been surprised about watching him in this postseason, actually been able to play a little bit of defense. But when you've got Lou Will and you've got Gallinari and even a Kongwu, give you a little bit of energy, give you a couple of points, maybe get you an alley-oop or a dunk or something along those lines. Get you a couple of free throws from the free throw line. And Tony Snell can come off the bench and play some defense. He can also hit a couple of threes, although he was 0 for 3 last night. Played 8 minutes. Tony Snell, or excuse me, Solomon Hill didn't even play. But it didn't really matter. And Kevin Herter was out there and he was, I mean, he was good. He wasn't extraordinary. But he made some good passes. He made 40% of his shots. And he played some all right defense. I'd say a good move by Nate McMillan. Now, Kevin Herter starting wasn't the reason they won this game. The real reason that the Hawks won this game and the real reason why the Hawks can now possibly win this series is because Joel Embiid's knee is bumming. His knee is just not the same. And and I'm not saying that the 76ers aren't going to win this year. I still think the 76ers are a better team. But the, what, what's going to hold them back is going to be Joel Embiid not playing at his best. Now what might even this series out is that Trey Young has a right shoulder injury. But Trey Young still played 40 minutes. And I understand he didn't shoot great. 8 for 26. 3 from 11 for Dista. 3 for 11 from distance. Was pretty good at the foul line. Had 25 points. Had 18 assists. That's a lot of dribbling and passing with your right hand because he's right-handed. I think his shoulder's going to be okay. If I had to guess between the two, whose is worse? I would say I think Joel Embiid's knee is probably worse than Trey Young's shoulder. This is something that Joel Embiid has been dealing with all season long. He had a stint on the injured list, or whatever you want to call it, during the season. He's fought through it the rest of the way and into the postseason. And this is something for Trey Young with his shoulder that he just kind of banged up and bruised up a little bit in Game 3. He got bumped a little bit in Game 3, and he's a little bit sore. Still, even though he took 26 shots and made and had just 25 points, he's still was impactful to the game. That floater game was still pretty strong. The alley-oops with Clint Capella. And he was getting everybody involved. 18 assists. Do you know how many assists the team had? 24. He had 18 of the 24 assists. So when the Hawks score the ball, basically, Trey Young is in, is involved Pretty much every single time. Almost every single time he touches the basketball. He makes the pass that sets up a teammate. And again, that's the playmaking aspect that we've talked about with Trey Young that makes him so valuable. Now, he's not one of one. He's not the best player. I still don't think he's the best player on a championship team. But he's a damn good player. And I know we may have ripped on him a little bit during the season. 
And he's still not a good defender. Like, let's not sugarcoat that. There's limitations that he has at his size to guard other NBA talent. He's under he's undersized. But what he can do on the basketball court from an offensive standpoint, it's hard to match. Not a lot of people can do that. And he only turned the ball over twice last night. So despite the shoulder injury, despite not shooting well, he did other things to help this team win. And Joel Embiid, I mean, he played 36 minutes last night, but you could tell he was not right. Four for 20 from the field, one for four from distance. He did hit all eight of his free throws, did have 21 rebounds still, and 17 points. But again, that's another example of, hey, look, I might not be at my best offensively, but I'm a big body and I can still rebound the basketball. And I can still help my team win and be successful. Now, they didn't win last night and they weren't successful, although they had this game. This was the 76ers game early in the first half to lose. And they lost in the second half. Because you know why? Joel Embiid went 0 for 12 in the second half from the field. You can't have your MVP candidate, your bona fide best player, go 0 for 12 in the second half and expect to win. And the fact that he did that and they almost won is incredible. And if he made one basket, that one that put him 0 for 12 in the second half, they win this game. They probably win this game. So that's why I still think the 76ers are the best team. I still think that they're going to win this series unless Joel Embiid's knee gets so bad that he's hampered to that extent where he shoots 0 for 12 or doesn't play. I don't want to just blame it all on the knee. I think the Hawks did a pretty decent job defensively against him. Clint Capella is playing pretty well after getting crushed the first couple of games. 12-13 and last night. Had a block. I will say this, though. When, when watching that game last night, in that third quarter, when the Hawks started to really make their run, and they still were down almost 20 points near the end of the second uh, first half. They got it down to, I think it was, it was like a 13-14 point game at halftime. I think it was 13 points. They hung around, and then they made their push in the third quarter, and that's generally what you see happen. And a lot of times, and we've talked about this in this postseason, generally, if you're going to make your run, you want to make it in the fourth quarter because it takes a lot out of you to make that push, to make that run. And then once you get that lead, hold off, fend off the other team from coming back because they've just gotten beaten, battered, and bruised, having a big lead, and then relinquishing it. And then the team that usually comes back from that big lead They've expended so much energy to just come back that they just don't have enough left in the tank, but that didn't happen last night. Because the Hawks made their run, they get down by just two at the end of the third, and then it was really back and forth in the fourth quarter, but the Hawks were just a little bit better. And again, if Joel Embiid was able to be just a little bit better, Philadelphia wins this this game and we go up three. The Philadelphia goes up three one, but the Hawks are still in it, and I think they have a chance. And something that I don't think a lot of people will talk about in this game is in that third quarter when it was still a double digit lead for 
the 76ers, and the Hawks were trying to chip into that, and they were starting to come back, and they were starting to make some noise, and the crowd was starting to get excited. That was punctuated by two big plays by John Collins. And again, I don't think this is something that will get talked a lot about. But while I'm watching the game and then went back and watched the highlights of it, there were a couple of two things that stood out. Two put back, I think it was a, I don't know if they were two put back, I can't remember exactly. I think it was, it might have been an alley-oop and a put back or both put back dunks by John Collins. And I mean, just coming out of nowhere. Poof. Coming out of nowhere, out of thin air. And putting it back. Putting somebody on a poster. Injecting life. Into that ATL crowd. And it really got the Hawks going. I felt like they jumped off and they fed off of that energy. If this was an empty arena. I don't think the Hawks win this game. Because again, I think Philadelphia is the better team. Top to bottom, soup to nuts. But because there was noise in the stands, there was fans in the stands, that's something, as you know, as as an athlete, if you've ever played sports in high school, growing up, college, whatever it may be, playing at home in front of a crowd, as a player, I don't care what sport it is, gives you life. It gives you energy. When that demon deep down inside, the cardio demon, is saying, you're too tired. You can't give anymore. You're not good enough. The adrenaline bunny kind of kicks him aside and says, no, we got some more. Listen to all these fans. Listen to your teammates. Listen to the coaches. Everybody's hyped. You get energized. Like the energizer bunny kicks in. And you've got this extra burst of energy. I think that's what happened with those John Collins bunny hops yesterday coming out of nowhere with those put-back dunks. I think that was a huge reason why the Hawks won this game. And again, I don't think it's going to be talked about much, but I think it's a big part of why the Hawks were able to get back in the third quarter and get enough life in them to overcome the 76ers, who again in my estimation, are a better team. How do you feel about the Atlanta Hawks and the way that they've been playing, where they sit? Do you agree, disagree with what, what uh, my assessment of the Hawks from last night in a pivotal game four? Hit me up on Twitter, at G underscore ESPN1051. Again, at G underscore ESPN1051. Or hit me up on the phone line, 423-648-1051. Again, 423-648-1051. Before we take a break, something I wanted to get to and wanted to talk about is it's really, if you are a 76ers fan, it's got to be so infuriating and so frustrating that you're, I don't even want to call him MVP caliber point guard because he's not, in my book, he's not MVP level. Now look, I understand his defense is very good. He's 6'10", plays the point guard position. That's unheard of, really. That's like Magic Johnson. I don't even think it was 6'10". He was not 6'10". That point forward type of situation going on. But when it comes to Ben Simmons, if you're a 76ers fan, and just a fan of the game of basketball, it's almost infuriating to watch Ben Simmons play. 
Because this is a man who's supposed to be the second best player on your team. And I get it. Look, I get the value that he brings from a defensive standpoint. I do. I understand. He's a very good defender. But this this day and age, if he was in the if he played in the nineties, I look, he'd be great. We'd be lauding his defense and him scoring just ten to fifteen points. Would be fine because teams would only be scoring in the seventies, eighties, and maybe the nineties at the high point. But this day and age of basketball, teams are scoring in the one hundreds. And yes, I understand the value of having a more defensive-minded point guard, but at the same time, a guy who is supposed to be your second-best player can't come up with just 11 points. I understand he had 12 rebounds and 9 assists. He almost had a double, a triple-double last night. I get it. But for my second-best player, I want him to be a little bit more aggressive. Try to take somebody off the dribble. Penetrate. Break down the defense. Get a little floater game going. Get a little step-back game going. It's embarrassing that Joel Embiid, your center, is a better shooter than the guy who's playing the point guard position for you. It's embarrassing. I watched Joel Embiid, who's a behemoth, seven whatever he is, 7'2", seven, 7'1", seven, backing somebody down on the block and then hitting a fadeaway on him. Right in his eye. That's a big, plotting big man. Ben Simmons is afraid to shoot an open jump shot, long range or mid range. I don't think I've seen him shoot a a jumper. All of his baskets come right around the rim. He doesn't shoot. And God forbid he ever takes a three. Look, I I give him credit for knowing himself. Look, he's like, I'm not going out of my element and I'm not going to just hoist up threes. You have to get yourself to where Draymond Green is. You have to get yourself to where Rajon Rondo is. Maybe you will eventually. But you have in this day and age, you have to. You have to be able to give the illusion, the, th- the the simple threat that you might pull up and hit a three. Now I know Giannis doesn't take and hit many threes as well. He frankly needs to stop taking threes. So look, I'm not. I don't want Ben Simmons to go out there and take eight. 10 threes a game. But it hurts you from an offensive standpoint that the guy who's guarding you can play so far off and pack the paint, double Joel Embiid without worrying that he's going to kick it back out to you and you're going to take and hit a jump shot. That's a major detriment to this Philadelphia team. Major detriment. Now, they've done a good job surrounding and hiding Ben Simmons' lack of shooting, surrounding him with shooters and hiding his lack of shooting because you've got Tobias Harris, who's a really good shooter and a really good scorer. You've got Seth Curry, who's having a, a career year, and he's been really good, not only shooting threes, but he'll take the ball, uh, ball to the basket as well. He shot 70% from the field last night. I love that dude, Korkmaz. Dude's a sniper. You got some good energy minutes from Dwight Howard off the bench. Murray Steibel. Is a, is a really good defensive player as well. He needs to score a little bit more. Shake Milton, we know he can fill it up and shake and bake. And then George Hill is a consummate pro. He's a he's a veteran point guard. But it's just got to be infuriating to, to, to basketball fans and specifically Philadelphia 76ers fans that your supposedly second best player, yes, he's going out there getting triple doubles, but at the same time, it is... Oh, from an offensive standpoint, it's just infuriating to watch. 
We'll talk maybe some more about this with Sam Dusenberry Jr. Tomorrow on the program. He'll be with me one to two. But we'll step aside and we will continue the NBA conversation because I have a very poignant question for you NBA fans. Actually, it's more of a statement. And you can either agree or disagree with it. But I'm going to, in the next segment, I'm going to tell you why the best team in the NBA this season will not win an NBA title. Almost guarantee it. We'll talk about it coming up next, along with a little golf. Bryson turns down a chance to to play with Brooksy? Not a good look, bro. We'll talk about it coming up next right here on The Word with G on ESPN 105.1 The Zone.